We have a very special guest here this morning, and I would like to invite my mom to come forward. And she's got some very handsome escorts, or at least one. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it, Ma. I have something fun prepared for us. We're going to have a tea party right here. You may be seated. So you can have a seat right there. All right, and here's your mic. I know, Grandma. Grandma, we got more coming. We got flowers. Where's the flowers? The uh, waiter's scrambling back there. How are you this morning? Pretty good. Pretty good? She, can we get her turned on? Yeah? We got, we got goodies coming. Those are your flowers, by the way. You have to take those home. <laughs> and we got tea for you. Oh How much, what kind would you like? Black tea or Earl Grey? Yeah. And our, our waiter's the handsomest waiter on the planet. I love him. <laughs> He's cute. Isn't he cute? He's so cute. But he is dripping. So <laughs> um, here, why don't you give Grandma some of this right here? Austin graduated and uh, from Wazoo, hence the shirt. Does that one say alumni on it? We bought him a shirt that said alumni because we could. And uh, he's going to be moving this week too, so he's moving to Boise. And Mama's having to be okay with it, right? <laughs> Mama is having to be okay. All right, Mom. You got your tea? I, is there sugar tea. in here? Nope, those are empty. Shoot. Fine. But that's okay. Thank you, sir. All right. How are you? Are you good? Are you, are you good? Are you nervous? No. Okay, good. <laughs> so we'll start off. How old are you? You have to say. 92. 92. <laughs> I told my mom that she might, may not pass on, that she's eternal, that I get to go first, and she yells at me every time I say that. So, and I'm already planning, planning the 100th birthday, so you've got you to gotta be ready for that. Well, I hope I disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. So, heaven's better than you. Heaven's better, I know. So what year were you born? In 1925. 1925. So you can do the math. I think 2017, that does. So 1925. Anybody else in the house alive in 1925? Mother, you're the oldest one here. <laughs> I feel <can't> like it. <laughs> Where were you born? Where? Where? In Seattle. Yeah, downtown, right? In the Fremont area. Were you born at home or in a hospital? If, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> You were there. How did you? It was some kind of a birthing place. A birthing place. Perfect. I looked around, but I couldn't it did. figure it out. <laughs> so tell me, tell me three things that you feel are different now than they were back then. The whole planet. The whole planet. Well, that's one. What else? Technology. Um. People are different. We're all more greedy, and a lot of us are meaner. Meaner. <laughs> Read the paper. You know what's different. <laughs> it's, um, it's a different world. 
But I have you know, you know, your first your your mention there to technology. This lady has an iPad and she's on Facebook. So if you want to friend her, just go right on ahead. Look for Phyllis Roberts, and she's right there, cute as a bug. What is your? I can't remember what your profile picture is. Is it still the picture of Sterling? Or I know. I never look at it. <laughs> I do. Okay. I just read the we messages. We have to work on that. So now, uh, how old were you when World War One started? I had. I graduated in June, and it started the previous December. So you were in high school. When it started, yeah. But you graduated early from high school, if I remember right. Yeah, half a year. So I think you were like 15 or 16, no, maybe? No, I was 17. Okay, 17, somewhere in there. Okay, I don't know my numbers as well here. I was a big girl. So what did it feel like when World War II started? It was scary because I hadn't known war, and everything was so innocent, and we didn't think it was innocent then, but comparing to today... It was an innocent world, uh, a naive world. It was kinder. It was more respectful. Yep. This is a different planet than I grew up on. So when the war hit, though, that was kind of a wake-up call to everyone. It was, and that's when women started working because the men were all gone. Yep. And, um, and... Those years changed the culture to um, more materialism right. and mothers working because everybody has, has to have everything everybody else has nowadays. And, um, of course, technology, that we didn't have anything like that. So now during those years, you went to college. You, I went to Bible school. You shipped off to college off to Bible school down in Springfield. Right. And when you were down there, you were quite a crazy girl. <clears throat> Not too. Not too bad. Well, I don't look tell bad, us, do I? <laughs> were, you, were you top student there? Did you get all A's? No, but See? I, okay. I wasn't bad. You weren't bad? Now, in, I, I remember you telling me some stories um, about you in your, um, in your dorm teasing some other girls or, or doing something. Can you tell me that story? You know, when I see what kids do oh, now. Oh, come on now, just tell the story. It. We were very innocent, naive. Of course, of course, Mom. Yeah, but what we, were you we doing? We didn't do what kids now do. What did you do with the mop? Well, <laughs> nothing. Nothing yes, bad. <laughs> do I need to tell the story? No. <laughs> okay. She had her antics. uh, We just looked on the rules as something to ignore. Rules were something to ignore. Or a challenge to break. Or a challenge to break. And she's talking about today's society? Yeah, but we were still more innocent when we broke them. Okay, I got it. (laughs) I get it. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. I won't make you say those things. You were nice. I know the story, so afterwards I'll fill you in. So, um, you met your husband there. I did. And what did you think the first time you saw him? That I was going to marry him. You, you made that decision the first time you laid, him, laid eyes on him? Some things you know. Yeah. Women understand this. Men don't. <laughs> but Wait a minute. <laughs> we just have an instinct that men don't. Know. There you go. Right on, girls. 
<laughs> okay, so you guys got married, and it was, you know, during some difficult times, uh, just in society and in the financial arena and all that kind of thing, and you guys went into the ministry. Right. So, and you were in different places, and you lived in a trailer doing evangelistic in North Dakota, we lived in. North Dakota, and you lived in a little trailer, and you'd pull it around with what kind of car? Do you remember what kind of we car? We had a, a GMC. Something, something. Like something. a van. A van. What year was it? Do you remember? Nope. It was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so they were in evangelistic work, and they pastored different churches, and they went around, and they had three kids during that time. And then they decided to go in, uh, on the mission field. What did you think when your husband said, we're going to Guatemala? Well, that was interesting because he uh, had seen an advertisement and an invitation to visit this flying missionary uh, work that was in Mexico at the time. And um, he felt that was one time that he had instinct like women. One time. And That's he, all you get, guys, one time. He wanted to learn to fly. In fact, he learned up in Auburn at the airport up there. And um, he learned to fly. Well, first of all, he went down to Mexico with the missions to see what it was all about. And he said he really felt like that was the thing that he was supposed to do. But in thinking about it, he thought, well, I've got a lot to do first. We've got to sell a house and do all this. Meanwhile, while he was on his trip, a man came to the house and said, I'd like to buy your house. So I told him that, well, I can't sell it to you right now, but you could talk to my husband. So when he came home from Mexico and he said he wanted to go, but we have to sell the house, I said, I've already sold it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how God works. The steps of his children are ordered by the Lord. And um, he doesn't, he makes all these things happen. You don't have to work that hard at it. So they packed everything up, sold everything, packed everything up, and drove on the, that, the, on I-5. Well, we stopped in California, and we were there a year while he did all his flying lessons. Right. The, Finished it and got his license. And then you drove through Mexico, and it was a dirt, the freeway was a dirt road when you came through, right? Not in Mexico, but in Guatemala. Once you hit Guatemala, then it went to dirt. Yeah. So they were. Drove that thing through fields and all (laughs) kind of crazy things. So they settled down, and uh, dad was a pilot, and you had three kids, you were teaching in a little school there, an American school, and you were busy. You had a, a gal that came in and helped clean and helped you do things that was great the best part of just living was you can have a maid for 16 dollars a month we'd all get one here if we could do that so now she came home she had to go back to doing her work so but then you came up pregnant what did you think when you found out you were pregnant what are you thinking god (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't afraid and I wasn't upset but uh, what are you thinking God (laughs) I don't need a baby so this wasn't a uh, a perfect time in your life to get pregnant 
This was not there wasn't going to be any more perfect times. <laughs> there there wasn't was done. But she's, you know, you're in a, a foreign land, and you're not going to be flying home to have the baby. You're going to have the baby there. So, and it was kind of a kind of a difficult time. So, then a couple of weeks before your due date, a tragedy happened. What was that tragedy? It's about a month before. <laughs> Where do I start? Just general. We couldn't settle on a name f- for this baby, but I knew it was a girl. And um, I couldn't come up with anything good. But this particular morning, I was on my way to go downtown and get a perm. And while I was waiting for the bus, all of a sudden it came to me. I'm going to name her Joel Paulette. His name was Joel Paul. And then right away, I thought, Joe won't like that. That's a man's name, and he won't agree to it. But it was just set in stone, just like that. That's her name. So I went downtown, did my thing, and came home, and he usually had been flying in the morning, but he always flew in the morning and got home before it was too hot because the downdrafts would be too strong. It was dangerous. And he was not home. And so the kids were all out across the street playing and uh, the younger well my youngest boy and um, I think Janice was there too well where's Steve oh he's gone so you know I just thought well maybe when Joe flew out to another missionary place and visited and about two hours later I saw a Volkswagen come to my house, and my oldest son got out, and two missionaries got out. <sighs> What's going on? And when they got in the house, they were very sober, and they just stood there. And I said, Joe's died. And they shook their head, Yes. And that was the beginning of living in a different world because everything changed. And it was a month before she was born. So, and they had to have the, by law down there, you had to have the funeral 24 hours after the death, no longer. So... I was, you know, where your head would be if something like this happened. And I didn't know what to do. And suddenly all the wives of the missionaries that had taken, they had taken Steve downtown to identify the body. And my son was 17. So, you know, it was not a good day. But the wives came right away and... What else? I don't well, know. what else means that 52 years later, soon to be 53... I have to tell you one more thing. One more thing? That night after the death, and I went to bed, and I was lying there, and my head was spinning. I had no idea what to do. God spoke. And he has spoken to me maybe a dozen times. And the thing is, you know it's God because 
it's the opposite of what you would have thought in the natural. It's, and he speaks with great authority. And it's a strong, firm voice, but nobody else would have heard it. And when, when he spoke, he said, for this, you've been carrying this child. So, what does that tell me? Eight months ago, God knew this was part of the plan. And he knew I needed Joel. I didn't think I needed another one at that time. But it just settled everything. There was, I was part of a plan, and it was more than a 24-hour plan. It was a long-range plan. Amen. And 52 years later, I can honestly look at this woman, and her tragedy did not make her bitter. Her tragedy made her better. And she has been a hero. And I want to thank you for everything that you have done. And I pray that I can walk in as much strength and wisdom, not perfection. You always like to discount these words because you want to say I wasn't perfect. But that I can walk as a mother in the same kinds of brave, courageous steps that you have. Very See, I told you she was going to do that. She does that every time. Would you give my mom a hand? Thank you, Mom. Your escort has arrived. The tea was wonderful, by the way. Where's Austin? The tea was wonderful. So they're going to clear this off, and those flowers go to my mom when she gets seated down. And we are going to move on into the Word. Praise God. What a fun, fun time. Amen? They say that characters manifest in the great big moments, but that it was forged in the difficult small moments. Helen Keller says, and was quoted as saying, character isn't developed in the ease and quiet. Character is only developed through trial and suffering. And only in trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, your vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. My mom was a brave lady. She chose to walk in courage. She really kind of didn't have an option. I mean, what is the option? Courage, fear, brokenness, standing. For my sake, I'm so grateful she chose to be courageous and stand. Today I want to talk about a gal in the Bible that is absolutely just as much as inspiring. She's a story of a, of a somewhat unknown woman, but she birthed three incredible children and raised them and set them on their life course. And if I can be like this woman, I will be a success. Her first child was named Miriam. 
She was a gifted poetess and musician and, and very integral figure in the history of Israel. Her second child was Aaron, the first high priest and the founder of the Aaronic priesthood. And her third and last child that we know of, his name was Moses, a great deliverer, one of the greatest leaders of all time. This mama's name was Jochebed. One of the first names recorded in the Bible, whose name is actually a fusion with Jehovah. Jacobed, Yahovah, Jacobed. I'm going to say Jacobed because it just sounds better. I'm not spitting all over you. So Jacobed means the glory of Jehovah. We pick up her life in Exodus. So if you would with me, open your Bibles to Exodus 1. And uh, we're going to get started here. And I'm going to have to go rather quickly because we've had so much fun here today. Amen. And I want you to get out of here in time for your Mother's Day brunch. So we find Jochebed in the first chapters of Exodus. And in the previous chapters before that, their ancestors, which would include Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then eventually Joseph, landed in Egypt. Now, they were living up in the Israeli area, although it wasn't Israel quite yet, and they had traveled down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land up in their area. Well, prior to that, one of their brothers, because they were the, the, all 11 brothers conspired against the 12th one, he had been sold into slavery, sent to Egypt, and over years of good things and bad things, rose up to be the second in command in Egypt, Pharaoh. All of the other brothers, after a few years of, of hard famine and, and starvation, decide to go to Egypt to get some food. So they land in Egypt. When they get there, they discover their long-lost brother. One problem. He's the one they sell, sold into you know, slavery. So it was a little awkward at first. But Joseph threw his arms around them, embraced them, and, and gave them the best of the land in Egypt. And they were favored in Egypt. And the brothers married and had children, and they, they grew, and they were successful in Egypt. But the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, that a new king who did not know Joseph came to power in Egypt. And this is approximately 300 and some odd years after Joseph. And he said to the people, the Israelites have become so numerous for us. Come, we, we must deal shrewdly. That word shrewdly means we got to contain these people. The word shrewdly there means is a, a word, a Hebrew word that is actually, when you translate it straight across, it's contain. We got to put a lid and a wall and a floor and a ceiling all over these people. We got to hold them back. We have to deal shrewdly with them. So, I'm going to fast forward. They put them in bondage. They began to treat them as slaves. They took everything away from them. They beat them and just continued to just contain them and push them and squeeze them into a smaller and smaller box. But the problem is, is as they were squeezing them into a smaller and smaller box, God had favor with them and they were growing even in the midst of their tragedy. So, the Pharaoh declares that Every, he, he pulls in all the midwives and he says, okay, listen, whenever there's a baby born, if it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, kill it right then. 
So the midwives, the, the Hebrew midwives, were in a spot. Do we obey or do we disobey? They chose to disobey. And they let the boys live. They would kind of walk slowly. So then Pharaoh calls them in and says, hey, you're, you, you've disobeyed me. What's going on here? Oh, they're, the, the Hebrew women are stronger than the Egyptian women. They birth before we get there and it's too late. So then he gets out of Egypt and he said, okay, all of Egypt, every single one of you, not just the police or the military, but every single Egyptian, you have my permission to kill any Hebrew baby boy. So now the Israelites are in a a predicament, in a pickle. In the midst of this difficult situation, this mama Jochebed comes up pregnant. She already has two. Miriam's about 10 and Aaron's about three. She comes up pregnant. Not the best time in humanity to become pregnant. Would you agree? So she is pregnant. They have no ultrasounds. They have no way of knowing what's in her her womb. But her womb grows and her womb grows and she knows she's getting close and she does not know what she's facing. And her fear and her worry and her anxiety, can you imagine what this mama is going through? What's going to happen? Are they, and that, you know, maybe a, a week before her best friend has a baby and maybe it was a boy and she heard through the windows the mama screaming and, and the, the Egyptian, whoever it was, taking the baby and they would throw the young boys into the Nile, the cross crocodile-infested Nile to kill them. She was living through this. She was burying a child in the midst of a very dark, dark time. So she makes it through. She births the baby. And lo and behold, it's a boy. So let's pick it up. Exodus 2. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. That's Amram and Jochebed. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now this is a very interesting verse here. When she saw that he was a fine child. Some of your translations say goodly. Some of them say um, beautiful. But she laid eyes on that baby. And she became convinced that that baby was not a normal baby. Now, I know that every mother, when they look at their firstborn, they think their child is it. But sometimes those faces are only one that a mother could love, right? But the Bible says that this baby was a beautiful baby, a comely, a perfect, perfect, perfect baby. Best, filled with favor. She saw him. She looked at him and saw that he was a fine child. Now, at that moment, this mama had a choice. She looked and she saw the potential inside of this baby. And yet she could see out the window and she saw that they were living in Egypt, that they were living under a law and an edict that said that this child had to be killed. So he, she's, she sees out there, she sees the Nile. Maybe she can see the Nile from her window and she knows that that Nile is filled with crocodiles and she knows that there's a whole society out there that wants to throw her precious baby into that Nile. 
So she looks at her baby and she sees and knows what's going on. Yet she knows one more thing. She knows her God. She knows her God. So she's sitting here and she's looking at her baby. She looks out the window and she sees what what the world has for her baby. But she knows her God. And for three months, she chooses to hide her baby. For three months. How did that work? I don't know. My newborns, to try to hide my newborn and not let anybody know in a little tiny house that she was in, that would have been a problem. My baby screamed all the time. Am I the only one? Trying to keep a newborn quiet. I, I've been trying to figure it out all week. How did they do this? Kept the door shut, the window shut. It's a hot, you know, hot environment. And trying to, sucky. Did they have a binky? What did she do? Duct tape. <laughs> Stuff a sock in it. Keep feeding it. That's it. That's it. Keep feeding it. But for three months, she kept him quiet. What was she doing during that three months? I would propose to you that she was doing a lot of prayer. I think she was doing a lot of prayer. I think she was looking at that baby, looking out the window, seeing the Nile, seeing the crocodiles, looking to God and saying, I know my God, I know my God. And then the pressure of that very, very, very hard, difficult, unknown time. Faith in her God birthed a plan. Whenever you are in a difficult spot, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Don't look out the window and stare at all the troubles. I would say to you, shut the windows. Shut the doors. Make it out there. And you get in here and meet with your God. Meet with your God. Because our God is capable and able to overcome everything that's out there. All of you parents who dedicated your children to the Lord, your children are the most comely and beautiful. I promise you. I'm just going to give it to you right now. But there's a world out there that wants to eat them alive. There is an enemy to your child's soul. But I'm here to tell you, I know my God. And he, only he, can overcome. So she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket. God gave him her a plan. A plan. A crazy plan. She made a papyrus basket for him and coated it with pitch and tar. Was she crying as she made this basket? I probably would have been. I know what it feels like to drive my kid across the country to drop her off somewhere. I bawled the whole way. This mom is getting ready to give her child up to God and to God's care. So she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. Instead of waiting... For her child to be taken and killed. She listened to the Holy Spirit, got a plan, and gave him to the plan. Gave him to the plan. So at three months, she puts him in this basket, takes him to the Nile. 
and places him among the reeds. The place where I think she knew that royalty came to bathe. So then we go on here as fast as I can. She placed her daughter, Miriam, his sister, and she stood at, the, at a distance to see what would happen. When Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent the slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister came crashing out of the reeds. I added crashing because I think that that's what I would do if I were her. Um, Excuse me, excuse me. Okay, came out of the reeds. And his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she said. And the girl went and got the baby's mother and brought her back. Jochebed walks up. And Pharaoh's daughter says, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Jacobed gave her child up to God's plan. God gave her child back to him, her, and paid her to care for it. Is it just me, or does God have some good ideas? So the crazy idea of putting her baby in a basket on the crocodile-infested river turned in to the best thing on the planet. We have to trust God with our children. We have to give our children in prayer to their future and to their destiny early. We can't hold on to them. We can't hide. We can't be afraid. This is what we have to do. So she kept the baby now for three years, between three and four years. That's what they say. It was until he was weaned. And that's typical for that time frame, was three to four years. Jacobed knew she had three or four years. What did she do during those three to four years? I'll tell you what she did. The Bible doesn't tell me. But I know the result of those three or four years. She spent those three to four years implanting and imprinting and molding and holding his heart, teaching him about the God of Israel, teaching him about character and integrity, taking, going past just the outside do's and don'ts. She went deep into her, his heart and set things in motion in his soul and in his heart and in his future, way down deep inside, so that it when other things were going to come along, because she knew it was going to come along, nothing would change what was planted and imprinted on the inside. Don't tell me, mothers of small children, that your job is unimportant. Don't tell me that your job is, is hard and difficult and, and is not worth anything. No, you are shaping. You are imprinting and molding the hearts of these small children that as you do it at this age, they are going to go forward and they're going to be that thing in a big body. I am who I am because I watched my mom 
At a small young age, mommy, can I have money to go buy candy? And she'd pull out her wallet. No, I don't have any money. Yes, you do. There's a bunch of dollar bills right there wrapped up. See, tucked in the corner. Give me that money. I want whatever I wanted. No, Jolie, that's not my money. That's God's money. You can't have that. Mommy, I want it. No, that's God's money. Okay. (sighs) True story. Many times. Over. Mom, I know you got money in there. Give it to me. She taught that child. And we'll finish up right here. If I could have the band come. Would you play song two, uh, God of Miracles? Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay, him, pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. At the time of Moses' birth, Jacoped had to decide, is she going to be a victim to the fear and oppression of the day? Or is she going to rise up and add courage to her faith and become an overcomer of oppression and fear of the day? She had to add courage to her faith. She had to take some steps. She had to do some things. Now, at age four, three, four, after instilling into this young man that he is not normal. How many of you, I tell my kids all the time when they were like, you are not normal. You are above normal. She told him over and over and over again, you are not normal. You are above normal. You are an Israelite. She taught him. Am I there still? What happened? What? She taught him better. So she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she gave him up again to the very household bent on killing him. And in that household, Moses was educated, given skills, taught the language. He learned the culture. He learned rhetoric, math, every single bit of knowledge in the Egyptian empire he learned. He learned how to administrate. He learned. Now we have a very, very unique individual and an individual that is, stands here and in his heart, he knows God. In here. But on the outside, he dressed like an Egyptian. He, was, he spoke like an Egyptian. But on the inside, he was an Israelite. So he was so unique. He was so unique that he was the only person really in the whole um, Israelite community that was now prepared to walk into the throne room of Pharaoh, look him in the eye, and speak his Israelite heart. Let my people go. Only because she, she was brave enough to add courage to her faith and follow God in the plans God had for her child. And gave her child up. Not once, but twice. 
We as parents, we as moms, have got to continue to walk, not in fear of our day today, not in fear of the oppressive, hard, difficult things going on in the world. We have got to add courage to our faith. We have to get down on our knees and pray and listen to what God has for our children and then be brave enough to kick them out and send them off. We have to raise our children to where their hearts are molded by the loving Father God in heaven, knowing right from wrong, knowing who he is. But yet I want to put a challenge to you. So many times we can act in fear as we're raising our kids and therefore remove them from society. And therefore they don't have the tools to engage in society. But we have to have an ability to raise their hearts to be strong and godly, yet on the outside, able to engage, educated to the highest degree that we can get them educated in so that they can walk now in leadership in this society and make a change. Who's with me on this? Look at your child. Look at those that you're influencing. See the goodliness inside of them and then raise them up to the highest standards of our society with the deepest love for God in their hearts. And then let them go and let them deliver their generation from the darkness and oppression that they've been born into. We do not know if she ever encountered him again. But you can bet she saw him from afar. She did not know what was going on in his heart all the time. Mamas, it's hard. Being a mama is not for the faint of heart. But what she put in him, 40 years later, she watched possibly, maybe she had passed away, I don't know. But that young man marched into the throne room of Egypt and declared, let my people go. 40 years later. Incredible man, incredible story raised by an incredible mom, a brave one. Jacobet, glory of Jehovah. She participated in Moses' very life by protecting it and giving him life. She participated in his soul by preparing him, by teaching and training of the greater things. She participated by, in his purpose by preserving his destiny through prayer. God, Jochebed loved her child, saw her, his potential, engaged society, and knew her God. Parenting is not for the faint of heart, weak and fearful. Culture is not for the, the weak of faith. No. No. No, mamas. Parenting is for the most bravest, courageous, strong, faith-filled heart. looks out into society and says, no, you will not win. My child will win over you. 
My child will beat you. My child knows their God as well. I know my God. My God is going to overcome through the next generation. I would like right now, if you are a a grandma, stand up. We'll dismiss in just a minute. I know I'm a little late. Be gracious to me. If you're a grandma, stand up. If you're a great grandma, stand up. Who's a great grandma? Raise your hand if you're great grandmas. Woo! Great, great grandma. Not quite. No, no, don't make it that. Okay, so we got great grandmas. We got grandmas. How about mamas? How about aunts? How about women in this room that are mentoring the younger generation? Amen. Okay, girls, look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. I I can't see yours. I want you right now to cast fear out of your world and out of your life right now. Do not fear society. Do not fear the future. Do not fear what's going on. Do not fear the enemy. Do not fear sin. Do not fear drugs, alcohol, se- uh, you know, sexual activity outside of marriage. Do not fear anything that you can see as being something that wants to steal your child away. I want you right now, just if you deal with fear, just right now, grab it out of your brain and cast it out. Now I want you to focus on your God. What is your God like? I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know, he's mighty, he's strong, he's all powerful, he's all knowledgeable, he is everywhere, he is filled with wisdom, he's filled with knowledge, and he's filled with the most amazing ideas for your children. And he has plans and he has purposes and he has great things for your child. Now I want you to dedicate yourself to step away from fear and step into courage. Add courage to your faith for your children. Pray and ask the Lord for the keys to their future and to what they need right now. Put your hands in the air right now. I'm going to pray over you right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray right now your Holy Spirit to come down upon them. I pray right now that you mamas, you grandmas, you great grandmas, you you aunts and you mentors, you are life bringers. You are life bringers. You are life bearers. And I say right now that you are going to be the ones that help pray in future and destiny for their chi- for these children and they will not be lost 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 in Jesus name let's sing that that chorus right now and I just want you to sing this sing it through I know we got stuff to do I know we have places to go we got parties in the afternoon here but let's all stand and let's just sing this with all strength and with all power and all confidence in Jesus' name right now. Hallelujah. In fact, just throw your hands in the air and let's declare it right now. God miracles come. Some of you need a miracle in your child's life. Come on. 
let's bring let's bring it in right now in Jesus name nothing is impossible by him